here it is may 20th and we're coming to you from san jose california again we're still here we're still parked here and uh the topic of today's podcast is my most recent journey to peru Mm -hmm. um apparently it's an interesting story to tell i'm going to do my best (laughs) to attempt to tell it and um hopefully gather uh some interest upon your your listeners part on uh, plant medicines um, journey experiences um, having to do with ancient cultures uh, coming from different parts of the world so that's kind of the topic of conversation uh, it's gonna sound a lot like complaining the <laughs> whole time <laughs> is that how you feel <laughs> I feel like uh, as I've shared the experience with people along the way so far and being home for exactly a week now I've been home um, it sounds like I'm just sharing about uh, suffering a lot. And it sounds like complaining to me as I hear myself say it over and over again. But, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll end up explaining all the different aspects of what made the, the experience very challenging and how it may sound like complaining, it may sound like a hard experience, but it was absolutely worth it and I would do it over again. Well, suffering and complaining seems like an interesting theme to revisit at some point in the podcast or or in the conversation at some point. Maybe at the end we can see how that how that yeah overall to ring true. I mean, let's just preface my definition of suffering and, okay. and complaining here. Okay, to me, suffering is a perspective and a judgment upon an experience that might be challenging. So I label something as suffering. Somebody else might label what somebody might call suffering. Let's say. I hate being tickled and you tickle me. I'm like, oh my God, I'm suffering because she's tickling me for three hours straight. Somebody else might be like love being tickled and then they're not labeling that as suffering, right? So suffering is a perspective that we take, a label that we place upon an experience. Mm -hmm. And then complaining is just a, I mean, to me, complaining or as I judge um, the repetitive sharing of a difficult experience with like a negative connotation that would be complaining um so as i share this what seems like challenging experience i don't have a negative connotation to it it was just hard i don't have a negative judgment of the experience so you don't see hard as negative i don't see challenging as negative Um, there's many things that I'm going to be sharing that I don't see as negative, but as essential to the process. And you, the listener or Ashley or anybody might, uh, label or judge the experience as just ridiculous. And of course that's suffering. Of course that's struggle and that can't possibly be positive. But, um, 
Yeah, I encourage you to consider that even though it sounds like a really hard experience, how there might be positive benefits to it. Just like almost anything that's challenging tends to have a, a positive benefit if you decide to see it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's all perspective and relative. And I think um, we're going to, I think what will be interesting to talk about is is what your perceived benefits before you attended were and then maybe what you're seeing them are after. But what I want to say before we get to that is um, something that I think connects really interestingly to the most recent episode we uploaded with my inter- uh, my conversation with Dylan. And one of the things that came up was like what he had asked a question generally about like <clears throat> how do people like how do you get people going like on on their journey like how do people start on their healing journeys and I don't Mm. think any you can really externalize that and I don't think you can control or force anyone but I have this image in my head and the reason why it's coming up is because you were saying like maybe through this conversation today you might inspire people so this image that I have in my head that I saw recently is like all of these people are standing in a crowd and they're all gray and I said this in the last episode they're all gray and there's one person that's lit up and they're lit up just enough to shine their light on the people closest to them and that's how you affect change and it's just an it's just naturally occurring like if you work on yourself and you light yourself up the people people closest to you will see that and it's almost like an exposure and it's almost like Um, You just never know who is in need of hearing something or or, uh, having access to a certain resource or understanding a certain method of healing. And so um, maybe you inspire, but at the least, like, you're shining your light onto the people that are listening and that um, shares, like, this resource. I think think that's cool. Um, So... I think it would be helpful to start with, um, like what, what did you do with like plant diet? What is it? Mm. And then why did you want to do it? Mm. And, uh, and also maybe relevant to what I just said, how were you exposed to it? Yeah. So, um, I went to Peru in 2018, um, and I did a 23 day ayahuasca retreat. And um, in that retreat, one of my facilitators uh, was uh, Jason Gretchenik or Gretchenik. He has a podcast called The Universe Within Podcast that he started last year. Um, and it's, you know, all about um, the journey within using or not using plant medicines, but it usually has a, a focus on uh, ancient cultures and how they've um, utilized plants and um you know, whether they be hallucinogenic or not, um, how the plants in ancient cultures help us develop and grow and, and transcend levels of consciousness, basically. And uh, so I met him in that retreat, and um, I've just been kind of following uh, his Instagram, and uh, a friend who was at the retreat with me actually told me about his podcast, because I hadn't seen he started the podcast I started listening to his podcast more. Uh, I started learning about his process of becoming what's called a tobacero. A tobacero is like a um, a shaman of sorts or a master of the plant tobacco. Now, when I share, um, you know, like 
tobacco being a master plant or when I tell people I've gone and done the tobacco diet down in Peru, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Tobacco, like the plant that's in cigarettes. Uh, and Jason talks about this a lot in his podcast, um, but I'll share my perspective on it. Um, much like Western culture has done through the hundreds of years um, that America has been around and, and um, other Western cultures in Europe and stuff, we tend to take a plant or a tradition that has been around for thousands of years and bastardize the shit out of it um, or abuse the plants or, or traditions. So um, there are many plants in the Amazon down in Peru, um, Colombia, Brazil, that have been used in these ancient cultures, um, indigenous tribes down there that have been used, as I said, to transcend levels of consciousness, to cleanse the body and whatnot, some being hallucinogenic, some being not. Ayahuasca is one of those plants. That's the, the really famous common one that everybody's going down. That one's obviously hallucinogenic. Um, and even that these days is starting to be abused a little bit. So coming back around to tobacco, um, tobacco has been used in many, many different forms for hundreds of thousands of years down in the Amazon. Um, as Jason's described in his podcast, smoking it in the form of cigarettes has actually been one of the more recent versions of it. Uh, more anciently, or much more in the past, it's been more commonly used as a snuff, snorting it, um, chewing it, and also drinking it. So... In these cultures down south, um, and, and this goes along the path of even using ayahuasca, tobacco is meant to be, and tobacco, tobacco diet specifically, is supposed to be one of the first things that anybody partakes in to solidify their physical stature and their mental stature, essentially. It's meant to prepare you for the journey of plant uses. So everybody's going down to use ayahuasca first. Um, more commonly in the past, it was meant to be tobacco first. You're meant to diet tobacco very first and foremost to prepare you for the use of coca, for the use of wachuma, for the use of ayahuasca. Um, and there's a, supposed to be a process in tobacco, as I said, is supposed to be the first part of that process. So after following Jason's work, um, and after hearing a little bit about diets and just along the way, other people trying them, not many close friends of mine have tried it, but um, some teachers of mine have tried it. The facilitators obviously spoke about it, um, how powerful it was for them. Naturally, some interest was piqued on my part. And um, yeah, so upon, upon the interest arising, I decided um, this year that I was going to give it a go. Let me pause you, and I just want to know more about, like, because you're like, naturally, uh, I piqued my interest. Well, that might not pique everyone's interest, so can you tell me a little bit more as to why it really piqued your interest? Yeah, for me, um, one of the main things, <clears throat> well, I'll just share a couple different things that interested me. When you diet tobacco, it then aids and supports any other plant medicine journey that you then do after. So 
when you die at a plant, it becomes your ally. The spirit of the plant becomes your ally. Characteristics that you gain and develop through your plant diet supports you and stick with you afterwards so that when you go do an ayahuasca journey or wachuma journey, that plant, and especially tobacco being one of the most supportive master plants, it's the foundational master plant, supports all of those journeys. So it just made logical sense to me that doing if I can if I intend on doing more of these um, hallucinogenic journeys or you know working with ayahuasca or wachuma then having tobacco as an ally for me was going to help my process there on after um and then you know my own personal intention with tobacco was and what I was going to do with other trees as well as um, just try to gain a better connection with nature um, and plants and, and kind of understand nature and the plants a little bit more um, and of course myself along the way but as you gain the allies of the plants the intention is to um, carry the characteristics and the, the teachings from those plants with you after. So take, take the gifts, take the, the lessons with you, with you after. So I wanted to learn those things. I wanted to know what the lessons from the plants would be and then how they would support me going forward. And just to round out that idea, it is understood in these... Um, South American cultures that have been using these plants for thousands of years, it's it's understood that there are different plants that have different characteristics. Because you're just kind of saying that, but that's that's kind of something for people who don't know anything about this to understand that that um, for whatever reason, and maybe you can give light to it. I'm not sure, but there there's certain energies around certain type of plants like some are more feminine and motherly and some are more fatherly like what are what are the characteristics around tobacco um i'm not sure if there's a gender Uh for tobacco but Mm -hmm. the characteristics of tobacco is that it's very supportive very grounding very centering um stable Mm -hmm. stability that's what it's offering you so um yeah, and, and you know, I'll get there, but that is certainly some of the characteristics that I feel I've acquired okay. once leaving. Um, so I've kind of interrupted you a few times. Is there thought process that you wanted to continue? What else? What, what was the original question? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I just wanted to start by framing it up. You were talking yeah. about your interest in it, how you were exposed oh, yeah. to it, and um, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to say in that regard. But otherwise, my next thought is just, um, you know, specifically the start of your journey, your expectations around it. Yeah, I think another interesting thing to share for me is um, my family has a, a, you know, I'm like there's like three generations above me that have abused smoking cigarettes. Like my great grandpa pretty much died because he smoked cigarettes. My grandfather I was very close with died because of smoking related issues. I have a father and uncles um, who smoke cigarettes and are having serious issues with smoking. So there was a part of me that wanted to 
reframe and heal the um, ancestral lineage of tobacco abuse and for me to go down and actually use it the way that it was intended on using and the way it's been used in the past with these indigenous cultures in a reverent way, like a really respectful ceremonial way was important to me as well. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I was coming from, um, where I was introduced to it, where I got interested in it from. And, uh, speaking of your family, share your experience of telling friends and family about like what you were doing and where you were going and like it's it's again a great way to uh revisit how do you explain to someone who doesn't know anything about this world of medicine how do you explain to them why it is that you're doing this yeah and what you're what not only and and in this i would love if you talked not just about like what you experienced their reaction to be, but also what how that felt for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, it's really interesting sharing these types of experiences of mine with people that have very little idea of what it's like, or like if they're not into the world of self-development, spiritual growth, um, healing and and whatnot, then it's just so far-fetched and completely out of range of most people's grasping that it's, it's interesting for me to witness. So I would imagine, you know, of all the three people that are listening to this podcast right now, (laughs) (laughs) if I could see your face right now, that would be telling me exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) No, just kidding. Um, so yeah, for example, I had this really interesting evening where I was sitting in my family's living room and it was my aunt, my mom and my dad all in the room and they all, this was like right before I left. Um, my mom was there before my dad and my mom was like, yeah, so why are you doing this? (laughs) And I shared with her my response. And then not long after my aunt, my dad came in there and my dad was like, so really like, why do you do these things? (laughs) Like, I can't, I I don't understand. And, um, what I shared with both of them is, you know, kind of what my intention was that I already shared with you guys was, but like, I'm committed to my own development, my own growth, my own releasing of programming that I've not chosen for myself. Um, and as far as the plants go, down south down in Peru and in these indigenous cultures these are like the very few areas of the world that still hold ceremony that has been around for a long time and ceremony to me it means meaning it's a, 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 a meaningful use and a meaningful program to work on yourself um, and I think so much of our our modern world is missing meaning and it's missing ceremony and that's that's kind of what I'm looking for so yeah I share with them like yeah I'm going down to find out more about myself I'm I want to learn more about who I really am um and um 
or I'll share something like, yeah, you know, like I have certain things to heal about myself, certain traumas that I've experienced. And then, you know, my typical dad response is trauma. What trauma? You don't have any trauma. You had a great childhood. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> um, you know, and you know, comparing trauma is not, not the way to go with anybody, but, um, yeah, we all have our things that we we like to to release and let go of, but it's it's um, it's really hilarious to witness the glitch in the matrix, as I've referred to it, mm-hmm. in seeing somebody's response to my share about why I would go do such a thing. It's like, and especially after when I came home and shared with people what it was like after the the glitch in the matrix was like double red pill <laughs> it was like cannot uh, compute uh, um, and you know you can't really explain these uh, firstly before the experience I can't really explain the experience I don't know what dieting tobacco is like beforehand so I can't really tell anybody what it's going to be like because I have no fucking idea mm-hmm. afterwards I have more of an idea which enlightens the explanation of the experience more for mm-hmm. sure um you know in at, at which point people like understand a little bit more but even still like i've been home for a week and i still don't completely know everything that's been worked on on myself mm-hmm. like there's time for integration yeah yeah integration is the 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 key the critical component and sometimes the most difficult part because you are back in your world with all of your distractions and it's um challenging to allow space for integration and they all they often say with um these plant medicines that the lessons from your ceremonies can hit you even year a year or years later. Yeah. Um, sometimes the the lessons are not immediate, which I think could be a whole other level of discomfort for the modern world. Like especially oh, yeah. like we our want, our generation, we're like we want immediate results. So that can be challenging. It kind of forces you, in a sense, to slow down. Um, That's one of the big things with the tobacco diet that is different from ayahuasca. Uh, with with a hallucinogenic plant, like you're you're experiencing really novel experiences. Like you're seeing crazy things, you're feeling crazy things, you're reliving trauma, you're experiencing God. You know all these different crazy, wild, non-typical experiences in a hallucinogenic experience. But tobacco is much more subtle than that, and not being hallucinatory, it's you have to be patient like you the, the answers and the 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 knowing of why one did it doesn't just present itself to you mm-hmm. like there can be a lot of question in my experience of like why the fuck did why am i doing this why did i do this mm-hmm. it's it's not so obvious so um i i think we framed up a lot quite nicely but i think now it's time if to share specifically pre-trip or mm-hmm. post-trip, however you think is the best way to go about it, what is a tobacco diet? Like mm-hmm. what, 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 cause like you said, you, you, you only knew so much cause you hadn't done it before. 
So however you want to explain it, like with your understanding before or after, but to help mm. people understand like what are the, what's an expectation of like what an experience would be like. Yeah. So, um, or dieting any plant like that, yeah. like this, it doesn't really matter that it's tobacco. What is the experience of dieting a plant and, and what is like the, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, just like, um, you know, different indigenous cultures use, uh, ayahuasca from like Colombian culture to Brazilian culture to Peruvian culture. There's different ways of using the plants. There's different ways of dieting the plants as well. Um, there's not a specific tribe tradition that I used. Uh, there are Shipibo lineages that, you know, they practice dieting and stuff. That is not the, the lineage that I worked in. Um, the lineage that I worked in was uh, just um, essentially Jason and Marav's teacher, whose name is Ernesto, who lives um, somewhere in the Peruvian Amazon, um, mm-hmm. has some sort of lineage of being tobaqueros and tobaqueras. So um, in this version, which was as explained to me by Jason and Marav, a very much toned down version of the lineage that they experienced. So they like, they made this, um, doable elementary, if you will, they made this very doable, um, which is hilarious because it's hard as shit (laughs) for me. Um, so traditionally with any sort of diet, whether it be tobacco or another tree or plant, you are, um, in isolation for the most part, meaning you um, have a space to live um, and you're not doing too much exploration. You're staying in your general living space. Um, maybe you can go outside a little bit. You know, you're not even meant to really walk around too much. And if you're really deep in a diet, you're not really wanting to walk around too much because you're exhausted. So, I'll explain more so from what I experienced because I can't explain any other, anybody else's experiences. Um, so yeah, you're in isolation. You're fasting or not eating very much at all. So um, for me, we were at, at a retreat center in Yurubamba, kind of up on the mountain, um, pretty far off from many other places. There were there were you know, people walking around and stuff, but it was mostly just like a hiking trail and not much going on around me except for farms. And I had a small little room and there were four other, uh, retreat goers with me. And the first two days or so, we were actually talking quite a bit. Um, even though they said like, you know, try to stay in your own process. I think, all of us were kind of trying to adapt to finding our own solitude. So we talked for the first couple of days, a little bit here and there. I played a little bit of chess with one dude named Mark, um, which really helped ease into the process of being, um, alone. Um, and just because the the dieting was hard, it kind of helped us ease our own, pain in in a way. Um, 
But then, yeah, after the first couple of days, we pretty much weren't talking to each other except for just saying hi and passing. And it's meant to be a very solitary experience. Like, even the amount of social socialization that we had was more than, I think, most traditional cultures use. Well, again, like, you had the elementary experience. Yeah, it was, it was a, a little bit easier that way. And then as far as the food goes, yeah, because the intention is meant to integrate one's body with the medicine with the plant that you're dieting you're not taking in much other food or or nutrients at all um we had a bowl of soup for for breakfast and that was pretty much um boiled beets carrots some potatoes if we were lucky celery some other greens um no salt no seasoning pretty bland all of it was bland. We never, you're not allowed to have any salt. Um, and then for lunch, we would have a bowl of fruit, melon. Um, yeah, maybe got some mangoes in there at some point, which were great. Uh, got, got avocados a couple times. Fantastic. So completely vegan, which I've never eaten before. We've discussed this in Mm -hmm. the first podcast or whatever. Um, I've never eaten vegan before. So even just probably going vegan for a week I noticed the weakness in my body my my muscle mass fell off my body like extremely quickly and um I never felt that hungry surprisingly um the bowl of soup and the bowl of fruit were was just enough I think to to allow me to not feel crazy hungry and I think still we probably had more food than than one might typically have in many of the more traditional uh, diet, plant diet uh, traditions. Um, yeah, so solitary for the most part, spending the day um, with one's thoughts, um, feelings. Uh, I journaled a lot. I did a little bit of art, a really tiny bit of reading, which is not recommended. And then every night where the ceremony comes around, we're drinking our plant brew. And that's for typically doing at least seven days. You know, you can diet plants for two weeks for certain master plants like ayahuasca. I think, you know, in Shipibo culture, you're dieting that for like three months. So there's, Yeah, that's actually an important thing to note. Like, the, yeah. the, in terms of duration, like, again, an elementary aspect of your diet was that you were scheduled to be there for two weeks. You were, diet, you were scheduled to diet tobacco for one week and a different tree for a second week, but um, depending on your intention of dieting, you can really go for weeks and weeks and months and months. Like, if you're trying oh, yeah. to really train yourself into being a master of that plant or or going into, like, a... or becoming a shaman of that plant, yeah. then you would diet for months. Yeah. Um, what Jason and Marav shared with me, and I haven't shared her full name, Marav Artsy, who's also my other teacher, um, with their teacher upon first, I think the first time they ever even drunk tobacco, they both shared, like, this is the path that they wanted to go down. They wanted to become a tobacco, a tobacco, like, basically a tobacco shaman. Um, they drank triple the dosage that I did. For 15 nights in a row um so yeah like like we've been saying like pretty elementary um 
Well, so, they've done it more than 15 nights in a row to become a master. There's just, yeah, yeah, just yeah. one time. Yeah, this is the first time. The first time they did yeah. it was like So that. I did it seven nights in a row at a moderate dose. And the first time they ever did it, they did it 15 nights in a row at a, an extremely high dose. Um, so, yeah, different ways of doing it. The way I did it was seven nights in a row having the dose that I did each night. Mm-hmm. And um, So you're served at night... Yeah, usually and between um, like 7 and 9 p.m., I suppose. And something that you didn't really realize was going to be as much of a challenge as it was, was sleeping. And as we reflect back, yeah. tobacco is a stimulant, and the fact that you're served it at night would be challenging. And um, I'm just I'm gearing you towards a certain thought process here. Um, uh, it's... It's interesting that you're served at night, it's a stimulant, which makes it difficult to sleep. However, one of the, they say that where you really get a lot of your lessons in tobacco diet is through your dreaming. Mm-hmm. So, because you can't sleep, it's hard to get into a dream state. So mm-hmm. you can talk about your process there. Yeah, um, Rav called dieting tobacco night school, <laughs> which um, I had no idea that I was going to be sleeping so little or at all at all um and i know that tobacco has nicotine in it and i know nicotine is a stimulant um for some reason i just thought i was going to be able to sleep i feel like i had heard through other people's stories that they were able to sleep um but yeah that wasn't too much the case for me um and you know some of the other people that were at the retreat they were able to sleep a little bit more than I was um, definitely depends on your like your who you are and your own experience um, with plants and your sensitivities and whatnot. Um, so yeah, we would drink the brew sometime between seven and nine p.m. And um, I'll just say it was a really gnarly tasting brew. Um, it was probably like four gulps for me, and I, I'm a, I'm a good gulper too, so pretty pretty big gulps a decent sized bowl of fluid and um you know I've drunk ayahuasca quite a few times now and you know I don't think it's that bad tasting personally this was (laughs) I don't know like triple times as bad like three times as bad as the taste of ayahuasca like it was really really hard to drink which is interesting because um you actually have made your own tobacco tea before about a year or two ago with some uh, of the tobacco, the tobacco you sourced from Peru, right? Mm-hmm. And totally different. Totally different. You didn't. I mean, one of your batches reeked. Yeah. One of them didn't smell like anything, but one of your batches really freaking smelled disgusting. But that one, those ones didn't taste as bad. And I'll just say, don't ever try to do this. Don't don't try to make your own tobacco tea. I shouldn't even have done that. Like I, it was not a good idea. Oh, tell why. Um. Yeah, it was just not the right way to use it. Oh, so. uh, even though my friend advised me in, in using it, trying it this way, and it did help with dreaming, um, it did actually you know make me sleep really deeply, I still don't think it's appropriate to do. Um, I wouldn't advise anybody to do that. So do you think that was actually like an abuse of the plant? Like yeah. Because you didn't have like a, yes. an understanding of how to brew it? Yeah. Oh, I okay. So. Yeah. And and uh, they say that like the process of, of brewing or creating the medicine, like the energy during that process feeds into totally so okay little side note anyway yeah definitely don't do that 
And um, so you had a hard time sleeping. You were getting like acid reflux. Um. So yeah, I <laughs> like. So the ceremony would happen. They would come between seven and nine p.m. Um, and the two of them would. It would just be like the two, of both my teachers and me in the room by myself. And they would go around and do everybody's ceremony individually. At which time they would essentially um, bless the medicine, bless the the ceremony, and bless me in the experience. Um, at which time there was singing involved, so they would alternate nights and singing to me and singing to the the plant to activate it. And then I would drink it, and immediately upon drinking, or you know, several moments after, you're meant to light a mapacho, which is like a you know, uh, kind of like a cigar, cigarette of the the same plant, the same kind of uh, tobacco plant from the Amazon, and you light it, and you have to gulp the smoke seven times. So not just like inhale with your mouth or into your lungs, but you have to actually swallow it into your gut, which is quite hard. And then after that we learn to supply ourselves, which in Spanish means to blow. So you supply. You learned how to blow yourself? I learned how to blow myself. Nice. Yes. So you use the mapacho again to essentially blow smoke down different meridians of your body to kind of finish the ceremonial process. After that, the teachers would leave, and then it was a, a solitary experience for the rest of the night. Um... I usually sat in meditation for quite a while after that to just sit and, and feel the medicine working within, within me or just be present with it. And, um, yeah, sometimes it would be really painful even just immediately upon drinking it. And sometimes it would be really peaceful and it wouldn't be a problem at all. Um, so it was, it was pretty variable in, in that aspect. Should I continue describing the rest of the night? Like, how the yeah. nights would go? Mm-hmm. So, the first night, um, I hadn't known at that point that sleeping was going to be impossible or not not really possible in a solid way. So, I laid there for quite a few hours just, like, really peaceful, and I felt really good. Um, I was like, oh, great, this is fine. I can do this, like, no problem. And um, I was actually feeling pretty happy about it. And then after a while, you know, still going along throughout the night, laying there, not really being able to sleep, my stomach started to hurt, started to feel nauseous. And um, they advised you to drink a lot of water. And I was feeling so nauseous, I didn't want to drink any water. But it's kind of a paradoxical invitation in that, like, if you feel like shit, drink water, and that's going to help you puke. And the puking will then allow you to feel better, but you don't really want to drink water. So I laid there, nauseous, feeling like puking, but didn't drink any water for the rest of the night without sleeping. And I'd say the worst part was not even the nausea, but my mind repetitively being like, I want to sleep, I want to sleep, I want to sleep, oh my god, I can't sleep, I didn't know I was going to be able to not sleep, and so on and so on and so on and so on for hours until I just barely dozed off right around sunrise. And um, even when you doze off in the experience of tobacco, it's not sleep. 
it's like if you've ever tried to take a, a 20 minute power nap and you feel like you just closed your eyes but you're somehow drooling it's kind of like that like you drool but you don't feel like you slept um yeah so didn't dream at all that night I don't believe the next morning I woke up and journaled and cried because I was like I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this six more nights without sleeping and it was really really hard for me to 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 contemplate the next six days or so so it was really hard that was, that was a really hard morning for me and then um, yeah journaling would help a little bit filling up the day with you know the first day or two like I said talking to people helped and then um, I'd say the differences in experiences I'm not going to give you a precise rundown of every single night certain things that, that end up being interesting and different um, and one of the the lessons, gifts I should say, from tobacco is when you receive some sort of dream where you feel like you're presented some sort of gift. This is a common common thread for some people. Um, tobacco presents its gifts in your dreams. Like you said, if you, you're not really sleeping, sometimes you're not even dreaming. So I didn't dream every night. I probably had significant dreams two nights two out of the seven nights pretty significant mm, so the first one of one of the more interesting nights that I had of dreaming was kind of like a, a reliving experience of like high school situation where um, first I was interacting with and being intimate with a girl that I knew in high school and she was a cheerleader and she was dating a popular football player one of my teammates and she had this you know bubbly uh, enthusiastic personality she was kind of like you know the prototypical blonde cheerleader and I was interacting with her and I was intimate with her even though I was never attracted to her in high school, she was just kind of what, what that, that representation was in high school. And then, um, she's kind of floating around after we're intimate. And then I'm in a situation with all my football teammates and we're all on the bench and we're back at football practice, but somehow it's been a while since we've been together and we're all coming back together. So there's kind of this nostalgic feeling of all of us coming together, but it, it was all my high school teammates and then the this guy who was a, a good friend of mine throughout high school ended up being the starting quarterback in high school. Him and I were sitting next to each other, and we were both lacing up cleats that looked nearly the same, same color. I was number 17 on the cleats. He was number 18, so something about this numerical um, sequence. And we were preparing to race each other. We never ended up racing, but we were we were lacing up our cleats. We were about to race each other. So what this presented to me was this idea of reliving and noticing the insecurity that I felt in high school, in um, how underdeveloped I felt, how um, inferior I felt uh, on the football field and with women. Um, I never started 
at quarterback in high school, which I always wanted to. I was a quarterback in middle school. I always wanted to be starting quarterback in high school, and it never happened. Never was with, you know, the really hot girl in high school. Um, so there's always this comparison and this in- insecurity there. And the dream essentially presented me with this leveling up of my consciousness to um, basically where I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to be seen as level with the starting quarterback. I wanted to be seen as comparable to the guy who dated the head cheerleader kind of situation. So it was really interesting to notice that. And even as I say it, I feel like I'm integrating it more into my, my consciousness right now. Why do you feel like that story... Um, so you have this dream that's bringing you back to high school days and it's um, you're thinking about how you, you know, everything you just shared. Why is that coming up for you? Why do you think that that story was relevant? I mean, the they always say that the plants kind of give you what you need. What about understanding your insecurities at that time in your life is relevant to you now? Hmm. Because you can look back and say, oh yeah, I was insecure as a teenager. But what what about that is relevant to you today? I don't know if there's any like life like specific life situation that that's relevant to as much as it's a a part of my existence that I haven't completely healed or reconciled um and of course like everybody is super insecure throughout high school for the most part and if you say that you're not then you're a fucking idiot because (laughs) we are all uh, in some way insecure and even if you were confident or popular um, usually it's an overcompensation for feeling insecure mm-hmm. so wherever you are there's there's something like that and um, I think you know a big part of my identity right now and throughout my past has been um, being really athletic and being really attached to sports. Um, I always grew up being, wanting to be a, a, a pro athlete. Like that was the main thing that I wanted to do. So my focus in life until I was shit. I mean, my focus in life, even until now to an extent has been women and sports or women and physical performance. And maybe it's actually, physical performance in sports to gain the attention of women. I would say more likely it's that. Um, I love sports. I really enjoy sports, but I think there's a use of sports and physical performance for the attention of women. That's why I still have abs. (laughs) So (laughs) just kidding. Um, But really. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, I think integrating that experience reliving it in some way because dreams and psychedelic experiences essentially they're inviting you to relive it and when you relive something experientially you're you're really integrating it more into your 
subconscious and unconscious much more. Can I ask my question in another way? Did I not answer it? No, I think you did, but I just want to ask it another way and see if anything else comes up. So how would bringing awareness and healing to this teenage part of yourself that felt insecure, how would bringing awareness and healing to that serve you today? Mm. Well, if I'm to let go of my attachments to being an athlete or uh, achieving physical feats or being fit or um, being charming and being uh, attractive to women, like if I let go of the the neediness to be those things, then I can be free of those attachments. And if I'm free of those attachments and needs, neediness, not like real needs, but like the the overcompensation, the, the desire from mom for attention based on inner child language, um, then I can, I could be free. I could be free of those things and be more of who I want to be. Hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. And, um, that's, the, that's the work. Like that's, that's all the work that I'm doing and all the work that we're doing. It's to let go of those, those things. And so through this story of you telling about this particular dream and, and the responses to the questions I just had for you, like that is an example of why someone might go do a tobacco diet because they are presented. And I know you have a second dream that I want to hear about, but they're presented with these stories of themselves or, or, or just they're presented with something that is relevant to their life and there's some sort of healing that can happen around that and that is why someone would go do a tobacco diet like they are working on themselves they're putting in the work they're they're on their healing journey and and dieting tobacco is just another way or mode or tool to uncover um traumas or suffering that is holding you back from being the self that you desire to be today yeah your true self Mm -hmm. yeah and what we're doing right now Ashley and I talking about it and her asking provoking questions this is integration for me yeah so you could you don't just go down to Peru and do a tobacco diet and then leave it there and not do anything with it like we like we said um, journaling about it helped me uncover what it really meant. Talking to, to my teachers about it helped me. And even this conversation now and me saying it and sharing it and the questions have helped me uncover and and feel more about the value about it. Mm-hmm. So it's all been helpful. It's all integration. Yeah, and it's like something that's interesting about like dream interpretation because you're getting... Super interesting. It's, it's interesting and it's like, well, there's not necessarily right and wrong. The answer is it's, whatever you think the answer is. Whatever intuitively comes up as, as the meaning for you. is like, yeah. oh, I had this dream about me in high school. Like anyone else might have perceived that differently for themselves. But you mm-hmm. had the dream and whatever it means for you exactly. is important. There's, And it's about trusting that intuition for yourself. Yeah, it's it like you said, it's all about the meaning that we place and choose for it. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you... If you share your experiences with people, 
And this is why, like, some teachers will share, say, like, if you have an ayahuasca experience, don't go immediately share all the finite inf- or crazy details about it. Like, because it totally skews your perception and meaning about it if somebody responds and says oh does this mean this and does this mean this or that's good that's bad yeah yeah like you don't want to skew it that way like let it sit in for a little bit you know sit with it for yourself whether it's journaling or meditation on the meaning meaning of it and then maybe you know slowly start to integrate it with other people but and then having a good coach or therapist that is going to appropriately um, guide you into discovering what it is for yourself is hugely important. So, like when Ashley is asking me the questions, they're really actually open-ended questions. They're, she's not trying to guide me into anything really. She's like genuinely curious. What does this mean for me? Mm-hmm. That's super important as a coach or a therapist. So, tell us about your other dream. I, I already obviously know you had a second dream, and you were talking a little bit about like tobacco gives you gifts, and I think yeah. that this second dream is really where you were presented, like actually like in the dream with a gift so talk about that one yeah this is interesting because um i don't typically have dream (laughs) well this is funny most of my dreams are nightmares where ashley is like cheating on me or um betraying me in some way and i actually did have i did have a dream about ashley that was chaotic as shit and i was crying in the dream but it wasn't I don't believe it had to do with her cheating on me or anything like that. And this obviously shows some trauma that I've experienced that I haven't completely integrated because I still experience dreams like this. But the gift dream was night five, I think. And uh, remember what I said about sleeping. Like these dreams didn't really come in like deep sleep. It's very light, liminal, uh, liminal spaces. So you wake up and you feel like you kind of had a vision, but you didn't sleep, which remind me to talk about hypnagogic um, experiences. But this dream on night five, I believe it was, I, in the same night, experienced a dream about Ashley that was kind of chaotic and where I cried. And then later in the night, and this is in, oh, actually, no, wrong. The crying night was another night. There was a dream before this gift dream where I was in a household and there was a monster in the basement that had like tentacles and was growing. It was, it kind of reminded me of something from Stranger Things where the, wasn't there like a big viney thing growing? I don't know. I don't know. It was this, it was this monster anyways. And, um, I'm in this house and somebody had been captured by the monster in the basement. Then there's like a young boy in the house and a girl. And I think the girl went downstairs purposely into the monster and got captured. And then the boy was acting a fool. And I just remember slapping him across the face. And in that time in the house, I was debating on whether or not I wanted to be the hero and go slay the monster and save the person. Didn't end up, doing anything I kind of discussed that with the teachers and you know obviously a monster in the basement is pretty metaphorical of like shadow something hidden and then one is presented with the choice of doing something of being the hero or saving somebody and, and whatnot 
So I haven't explored that one too much. And that right. wasn't that right. wasn't really the gift, but yeah. Oh yeah, I just like I heard you say that you, there was like a little boy that was acting nonsensical, and you slapped him. Like, would you say that the little boy was you? Yes, yeah, that was something that we discussed. You uh, slapped yourself. Yeah, he's like you know, and it, I when I reflect on it, I feel like it was like the age where I had a bowl cut, and I was just like around seven years old or something like that. I don't remember the face as being mine, but I remember it being a similar energy to someone who could be me. Mm-hmm interesting that you tell your child self basically like hey it's not okay that you're freaking out about this get your shit together mm-hmm. and it's interesting that your uh that that's your method yeah not saying it's a good method or why the method was there but um interesting to something, consider something to reflect on like maybe like there so there's this shadow and it is this this particular shadow is especially um scary and challenging for your seven-year-old self and maybe this dream is presenting you this is what is up you tell me if this sits now well you're for proje- you. now you're projecting on me like i was just saying that it's not a good idea to do or I'm just helping you process. You can tell me. You don't have to absorb what I'm saying. I can I can share this, and then you can say if it sits well for you or not. Okay. So perhaps you yourself today telling your seven year old self it is this dream sharing saying to you, hey, there's something in your shadow that you're not allowing yourself to process, and the way you're dealing with it is telling yourself to shut up. I didn't tell myself to shut up. I slapped myself. Whatever. I, or I slapped the kid. Yeah. You didn't represents. say it, but it represents shut up. No. No, that doesn't... That, now you're saying something that I actually don't believe. Okay. I don't believe that slapping... You don't have to get all agitated about it. Okay, well, I literally just said, possibly, maybe, perhaps, how does that sit with you? So... Yeah, no. If it doesn't sit with you, then that's what you can say, and we can move on. Go okay. ahead. Yeah. So moving along to the second dream that was after that dream, um, I was at my family's house, which is actually the house that Ashley and I's trailer is parked in front of right now. It's the house that my my grandparents have lived in since like the 50s, so it's been in the family for a really long time. And um, I'm in the backyard, and there were some family things going on. My mom was actually there, and my parents are divorced, and this is my dad's side house so it was interesting that she was there I remember very specifically she was wearing her hair in a ponytail which she never does now so it was something that she did when I was younger so I'm running around the house um, and at some point I realized that I was given or gifted um, an anaconda or a a large boa python Um, when I came out of the dream I was thinking anaconda because it was really big and um, it was kind of stored in like a floorboard slash like under the patio of the backyard. And uh, every time I would walk by it, it would try to bite me. It didn't end up biting me, but I remember I had to take care of this thing. So I was trying to find rats and chickens just around the house, which doesn't make any sense because that's not possible. But, you know, that's what I was trying to do. Um, so I'm running around this house trying to find these things. Every time I walk by the snake, it's trying to bite me. And my family is just annoying the shit out of me along the way. They're, like, trying to get my attention and talk to me. I'm like, yo, fools, I'm trying to find chickens and rats for this snake. 
leave me alone. Um, don't end up finding any chickens or rats. And then the very last part of the dream, I was walking by the python and it tried to strike me again. And I grabbed it right behind the head, as you might see, um, you know, Steve Irwin do or whatever in the past, like right behind the snake's head to muscle it away from my face. But it's my arm and hand struggling to keep the python from biting me. And we were just kind of locked in place. And then the dream ended there. And then I shared this with my teachers and their significance in the, the anaconda and boa down in the Amazon in Peru, obviously. Um, and uh, pretty much what it represents to me is this, this raw power, this um, universal unseen power, the power of uh, the unmanifest, the unconsciousness uh, of the world, of the universe. And kind of this this silent predator in the Amazon and the snake was quite literally given to me this energy was given to me and now it was up to me to nurture it with feeding it and also controlling it and not letting it hurt me and how I'm seeing this is is Tobacco has now given me a certain power, a certain energy, a certain understanding of the power that I can bear and hold within myself and act upon throughout my life, but it's not going to be easy. I have to nurture it. I have to control it. And if I'm not careful, then it's going to bite me in the ass. It's interesting that you use the word control. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as we've seen through the ages, like, power is a, a sticky substance. Like, the more power you gain, the more control you think you have. And if you don't want it to control you, then you have to control it to a certain extent or hone it, um, develop it, nurture it. And I did feel like that was a gift. Like, honestly, I... I I've reflected on it a little bit since and it, it just seemed really interesting to me that I've I would have a dream like that because I've never had a dream about animals really I don't remember ever dreaming about animals like that certainly no dreams that clear like that um, so it was very interesting hmm. and the teachers for sure thought that was significant in their way so yeah those are the significant dreams lessons and so you were supposed to be there two weeks but you left early so tell us about that <laughs> and also just to let you know we are at an hour okay so yeah i was originally gonna do seven days of tobacco diet and then in between there was a two-day break and then i was considering well i was actually planning on it. i paid for a second week as well when i was um which at which time i was going to diet a tree didn't know what tree i was gonna die it was just gonna be some sort of master plant tree you know that they use down there and then um yeah they, they would have told you what it was it was Before. just going to be based on your experience it was going to be a, a exclusive personal, personal. Yeah. yeah it was going to be a personal choice for me and then um 
so pretty much you know every night is spent puking you know riling writhing in gut pain and not sleeping so it was really hard it was really really hard it was also very cold um, you know, it was in the thirties outside. Is this where the complaining comes back this in? This where the complaining. There were a lot of factors that added to a really tough experience. The acid reflux. The bugs on your feet. I got decimated by sand flies. I mean, the, if there was no chance of me sleeping with tobacco, at least with not sleeping with the tobacco, like it was just stimulated and I couldn't fall asleep. Stomach pain was bad, but we've all experienced stomach stomach pain before. Like, we can tolerate it. And then once you puke, you feel a little bit better. Puking's not necessarily fun, but I don't mind doing it. The sand flies that fucked my feet up, that was nearly unbearable. The... I think it was the very last night, I... Like, my feet were just itching like crazy all day. Like, I could... I'd walk around and my feet would be itching in my shoes and I'd put socks on and I'd lay in bed and my feet would be itching. Like it was just nonstop. The last night I ended up having really bad acid reflux. So I'm puking, my feet are itching and the acid reflux I had was so bad. I actually couldn't lay down. So I, I like basically sat in the corner of the wall on my bed the whole night and it was just it was a lot my, my body was so tired my mind was so tired of all that I was just happy to get through the last night the seventh night and after that seventh night of just going through it um, feeling really exhausted from that hardly sleeping I after we closed the diet I I thought if I can move my flight up then I'm gonna go home because I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I knew that I could because each night, like in the middle of the night as I'm, I'm laying there awake or puking and whatnot, like I knew that I could do it in the daytime when we spent all day just sitting around, not doing anything and being alone and, and not talking like in the moments that were all in, be- in between and anticipating the next ceremony. That was when I was thinking over and over again, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to do this again. At night, it would be okay. So after the seventh ceremony and the seventh day and closing the, the the tobacco diet, if I could change my flight, I was going to change it. Went on to orbit, saw that I could change my flight at a minimal cost, moved it up um, a whole week and a half earlier. So I finished on Saturday. I was able to move my flight to Tuesday after, and that's when I decided that I was going to come home early. And, um, Can you talk more about your decision to come home early? Like, talk more about, like, you're saying, like, you could have done it, but you didn't want to. Oh, yeah. So, throughout the process, I feel um, like a big part of the process was me feeling really motivated and grounded in my, my state of mind about... Um, what my future was going to look like. So, and I'm very aware of how the ego tricks us into thinking, like, to get out of suffering. So I, I was aware of, in the experience, I wonder if my ego's just 
tricking me and saying, I need to get home to do these things. I need to get home to my beautiful girlfriend to marry her so that I would stop suffering there, right? Like, I, I brought this up to the teacher. Like, I'm, I'm super clear on this. Like, I understand that the ego can be very tricky in this way. Um, but I really felt like there were several signs along the way where I knew so strongly I'm ready to get home and start this journey with you. I'm so ready to get into the trailer and get the trailer going and, and started, not started, but like completed to be ready to go. And I'm actually really, really excited to get the trailer going now. Like I was really ready for it. And I didn't feel like at all times I was always really ready for it. And even completely ready for the next step in your and I's relationship. Hadn't really deeply considered what that was going to feel like and, and be like for me. And in the time there, um, being away from all of it, not being with you, not being at home, it all put into perspective like, yeah, I'm fucking ready for this. I love my life at home for the most part. (laughs) 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 I really, really am excited to, to get going with my life at home. And yeah, so that, the overall experience being really hard, um, feeling like also another thing when I was talking to one of my teachers, Marav and I had a great conversation about her explaining the difference between the tobacco experience and the tree experience. The tobacco offers grounding, uh, like I said, centeredness, clarity, um, presence, like really good sounding things. Like if you're going to go on a journey in a trailer with your partner, traveling the United States for however long an indefinite amount of time. That's a pretty destabilizing event. I want to be stable (laughs) in that when I go into it. I want to feel solid. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt. I felt solid. I felt ready. And she said, if you do the trees, they're much more astral, um, airy, universal, mentally destabilizing. And I was like, mm, no, that doesn't sound like that's the appropriate thing for me. At this time. Yeah. I don't think being away from home for three and a half weeks, coming home less stable, and then within a month and a half preparing to go on a nationwide journey in a trailer, <laughs> sounds like a, a, an appropriate sequence of events. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the retreat I'm in intending on doing in July that has to do with Wachuma and Ayahuasca as well. Mm -hmm. So that in between. So too much time away. Like I said, all those things, it just didn't feel appropriate in many different levels. So do you feel totally resolved on your decision or is there any part of you that um, has judgment of yourself for leaving early and not doing the full um, two weeks like you had planned. Yeah, there's a little bit of judgment. I'd say like 80% solid and 20% in question about did I bail out? Did, did I just quit because it was hard? Um, 
my original intention was to do two weeks. That that's in some way me not sticking to my word and feeling guilty about not sticking to my word, feeling bad about leaving my teachers as well. Like when they thought that I was going to be there for two weeks, and they could have had somebody else fill their my my room. Um, if they would have known, I would have stopped after a week. Um, and. I guess just missing out on the curiosity about what dieting the plant or the tree was going to be like, what the difference might be, what other lessons I might learn. Um, but like, I don't really feel like I, I made the wrong choice at all. It's just more of just like, I wonder, I wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you say 80, 20, so most of you feels pretty resolved and there's just a part of you that's curious, um, question, part of you that questions your, commitment to your word, things like that. Like, um, how, how do having those feelings, how do those, how does that serve you? You know, like those, that 20% that is, I think being curious about the plant is one thing, but, um, feeling like you didn't stick to your word or whatever, like, how does it serve you to have that feeling now? Mm. Well, in general, I think I have a history of not following through with everything I, I intend on doing. Like, um, I'm, I'm good at having ideas. I'm good at idealizing things. Really. I'd say that that's kind of like the broader, broader sense of what I do painting a, a grand picture about what an experience is going to be like or what a thing can be but then when it comes down to like the nitty gritty and hard work of an experience I'm not the grittiest person so the judgment is of myself for well th- that's the judgment of not not following through with things that I might intend on and in some way that being negative Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting reflection, especially as we are about to start this travel full-time, and um, this idea of, like, living in a trailer and indefinitely traveling throughout the country is incredibly idealized by many, and you and I have come together to make it actually happen, and we are about to get into the nitty-gritty. We're about to get into the details of where do we park this thing? How do we continue to make money? Hard work. Like, what if things break down? Like, mm-hmm. so that's what why comes I think up for you with that? I, I, that's why I think the, the tobacco diet was perfect for doing this. Doing that right before was ideal. Like, I really think that that, that prepared me for, for doing this. Mm-hmm. I think that if I can handle... <laughs> if I can handle traveling to Peru... Um, during a pandemic and doing a tobacco diet and then, you know, making it home, you know, I can, I can do this with you. No problem. Yeah. I I appreciate that reflection because when you look at something like your travel to Peru during a pandemic to, to work on yourself in this way, there's a lot of ideal, idealizing, what's the right word there? Idealistic. There's a lot of idealistic nature in that, but then you you did it. You did the nitty gritty. You 
found the person, you planned your trip. Oh yeah, I mean, and there's... you got there and you got back. So what I'm saying is like that I and you tell me how this sits with you, but I see you telling, giving yourself a story that you're not someone that can handle the nitty gritty. That you don't, you don't yeah. like to do that. You could do it. You don't like to do that. And you're telling yourself historically, that. Historically, I've not been Hist- good at it. But this trip has shown me, like, when it comes down to it, like, as you know, there were so many little things that had to happen that went wrong before and after as well. Like, uh, me showing up to my hotel that I booked for four nights on Expedia being completely sh- shut down and not functional. Mm-hmm. So I paid hundreds of dollars to stay at this place. No one's there. My cab driver doesn't speak English. My phone doesn't have service. And I had to go find another another place to stay mm-hmm. just by driving around. And you did. You found a place. You found people there, like-minded people there. The place was beautiful. Yeah, yeah it was It great. didn't really cost that much money. No. And it's close to where it close to where you had to end up. So there's a lesson there that, like... That was... Okay, so this is a really important thing that, like, I recognized within the four days beforehand... And kind of helped me for the several days after that um, I really recognized how the the universe was supportive of me in those experiences. So, like, something adverse would come up, like the hotel thing. Um, What else? Like, I didn't have a health affidavit thing ready um, before going to Peru. So, like, I had to scramble and get that done right before... um, meeting people this was interesting like meeting the the like-minded people before who i also met after which i didn't even tell you about i totally forgot so all these different little things kept coming up where i felt really supported and then i i started to recognize that i could trust a little bit more that things would end up being okay and uh this interesting thing so uh when i was flying down I came across these two guys um, in the airport in Lima, and uh, one guy was Australian named Adrian, another guy was named Ben. Um, They were going to do diets as well, and one guy was going to document it um, as a videographer. So we were just kind of chatting, and it was interesting coming across these guys going down, and then... um, And then once I got to my hotel room, I came across several people that were in the ayahuasca diet. Um, These German, German fellas, Jan, Sonia, and uh, Laura. Um, And they were super nice, super friendly. They gave me mapacho when I arrived and I'd been, you know, wanting to find mapacho when I got there. And they, they helped me communicate with the only Spanish speaking person that worked at the hotel to even get me a room. So that was really helpful. And then when I was coming out, I was in the, I was coming out of the retreat on the other side, which was a week early, week and a half early. I'm walking through the streets of Cusco and who do I see? Adrian and Ben. And like the, the fact that we just happened to walk across each other there, um, was just like super interesting. And then I was able to help them out by giving them my COVID test so that they could photoshop their names into it oh god that's not gonna sit well for a lot of people so (laughs) i got that to them so that was really cool really interesting and helpful for them not for me um but that wouldn't happen if i hadn't come out early and then i'm in the airport going home the next day and i see jan sonia and laura 
going home. Wow. When they had been in just drifting around for a week or so while I was in my retreat. Wow. And then they were there in the airport and I said goodbye to them. So I came across both these groups of people on my way out and I recognized like, I think I am supposed to be leaving right now. Like mm. this is the perfect cherry on top and the closure of the beginning and end of my, my experience as I was on my way out. Yeah. It was, it's almost like the universe is telling you, you are where you're supposed to be. Cause even the few days before your retreat, you were hanging out at this cafe, which is the only oh, place yeah, that, that was you could the get yeah. Wi Fi, And you kept running into people that you knew, yes. people that you were needed to run into. Yeah. That you were hoping to run into, but you couldn't get connect- connected with them. So it's like the universe is saying, that you are where you're supposed to be. That was the other thing that was a part of feeling supported by the universe. Yeah, like when I was sitting in there and Carolina walked in and Rob walked in, it was just, yeah, divine divine timing. Yeah. Yeah, so um, how do you take that lesson into life moving forward? Yeah, I mean, specifically with the trailer and traveling with you, I think that if um, trust trust in the adversity that's going to come along trust that even though it's going to be hard and challenging that everything is happening just as it's supposed to and also abundance is around every corner and this is something you and I have talked about a lot recently like as hard as it is to believe and as in and out as I go with that like what's the worst that can happen we fucking sell our trailer and we have 15 grand in the bank to go rent somewhere. Yeah. Big fucking deal. <laughs> like, yeah, you and I what, are both have amazing resumes. We can, we can sit back down yeah. anywhere. I mean, and, I could go work yeah. at a gym anywhere. Yeah. You can go to a we tech can, job anywhere. We don't even anywhere. have to sell the, sell the trailer. We can, we no, can continue to live in it and stay, stay, I'm you just know, saying there's like yeah. so many different yeah. options that yeah. like logically realizing that like nothing bad can really happen. Yeah. Flat tire, big deal. Yeah. Um, when it comes down to it, we're still in America <laughs> and uh, we're safe for the most part. And we have to expect like we will pop a tire. Sure. Sure. We're there's going to be, there's going to be problems and that's going to be a part of it. Yeah. And I think it's cool that we have both um, been in like literally the last week, both been presented with this idea of abundance. We're both kind of like attaching to that and, and understanding with how that feels for us. And something that, um, I've been, uh, exposed to is like, okay, like I'm a thinker and I'm trying to drop into my feelings and something that's been coming up in my work is like, okay, so you're, you, you understand that concept, but do you feel it? And so my question to you is like, you understand this concept, um, uh, well, shit, I don't know if it was abundance, I feel like it was something else, but, like, you understand, like, what you're, the lessons you're saying as we move into the trailer, like, you understand these things, but do you really feel them? Yeah. It's hard, I mean, we can, we can, go back and forth. we can conceptualize and talk, and talk about, oh, yeah, like, yeah. This, this abundance thing, mm-hmm. like, I could think through abundance, like, a million times, or say abundance, as a mantra forever but um and this is like joe Dispenza's work um to create a belief is to create a feeling by reminding yourself of experiencing that feeling in the past right mm-hmm. so like if i really want to feel abundance and believe in abundance then i will reflect on the beginning of my peru trip and feel the joy of sitting in 
the coffee shop and the people I needed to see walking in. Mm-hmm. Like that recreates the feeling for me and reaffirms the belief of abundance in, in whatever example I want to use for that. Yeah. But that's like how you actually recreate the feeling. Yeah, you were given like-minded people. You were given Mapacho. You were given a place to stay. I need to pee. Keep talking. Oh, gosh. Um... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> what the hell am I supposed to talk about with you peeing? We're going to hear your pee in the background. No, you're not. I bet you we will. I mean, I can hear it, so I can only imagine. Anyways, abundance. I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about... Um, well, I've been presented with how the earth is, is very abundant... And it's easy to say that, but to really realize everything that we have is because the earth can offer it, even if it's man-made and synthetic, it's possible because we have the basic elements on this, on this rock, on this floating rock in space. And to realize that the land that we, the ground that we walk on and this earth that we live on is an amazing metaphor and example of abundance the reality of that is just in your face everywhere you look the trailer the bush the carrots <laughs> the, the food you eat it's all provided from this ground beneath and it's kind of an amazing thing to wrap your head around when you are in the process of wrapping your head around abundance and an abundant mindset. And I think as Tyler and I get close to starting this um, journey in the trailer, I think having an abundant mindset is going to be critical for every avenue that we face. Like, are we, you know, can we, are we going to make money? And are we going to be able to find a place to stay? Like everything we need is provided to us and that's an abundant mindset. And that's how you get through. Like, it's really easy to focus on the things that I don't have. It's really easy to be aware of that. But when you realize everything that you do have, like the example you just gave, is like, it's not, we have, by the time this thing is done, it's going to be worth probably 15, 20 grand. You and I have that. That's, that's something we have that that's a resource that can be put into anything we need it to be put into. So there's really nothing to feel lack. There's nothing to feel afraid of. That's my little spiel about abundance while Tyler was done peeing. Is there anything, is there anything else that you want to cap in regards to your Peru experience? Man. Um, Maybe like your where you're at with your integration or just any final words. I'm really thankful for the people that were um, supportive in my process. Obviously, I'm super. I mean, Ashley, Ashley was super supportive in me deciding at a very. Eh, I'm going to say like a time when it wasn't really logistically great for me to go to Peru for several weeks like I told her before that we were going to do this journey in the trailer I would like some time for myself to be able to work on myself and have alone time she was like awesome go for it do what you got to do I completely support you in that that makes sense and that's great she very easily could have been like this is a horrible time we're, we're about to travel around the country in a trailer and you want to go to peru for 
I was intending on going for three and a half weeks. I mean, I did say to you, I was like, so long <laughs> as you don't come back and say that you're broke and you, you can't afford life. Or you come back not loving me anymore. Yeah, that was Which is actually what she said more often. As long as you come back loving me, you can go. <laughs> That's what she said. Well, you just never know. You just never know. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So her support was amazing. Um, Jason and Marav's support through the experience was amazing. Um, you know, and all my friends and family that, that, you know, encouraged me before and after it was really great. Um, thankful to myself for getting myself through it and coming through the other side and now being able to share the experiences and, um, Uh, in the plants for sure I'm really happy happy to have uh, been supported by by the use of the plants and nature and the world the universe all of it it's pretty woo-woo shit but if you believe in it then then you can really really experience some wild things and um, if I'm gonna offer anything for anybody to consider it's that if you decide to perceive your challenges as supportive, then they can be the most supportive things in your entire life. Yeah. Almost what I, what I think of when I hear you say that is like when you're faced with some sort, some kind of discomfort, suffering challenge, whatever it is, instead of running away from it, looking at it, mm-hmm. uh, being aware of it, accepting it, and the the growth that could come from that and then also I wanted to add like you know I've heard this from other people as well this idea of like oh it's kind of woo woo shit or whatever it's like well it's like if someone is listening to this and they're thinking oh that's some woo woo shit well that's just a judgment that's just a judgment what does it matter what it is that you do so long as you feel like you feel healing and if, if you want to um sit on the beach and and cover yourself in a pile of sand and then <laughs> lay there for a week while someone pours lemonade down your throat then do that if that's how you feel healing i don't care like so whatever whatever works for you you know um yeah your judgment of it being woo woo or not is it doesn't like it doesn't really serve you it just prohibits you from working with what might work for you so totally yeah i mean and as goes for any podcast or anything that you consume at all listener and self everything i share with you is for myself as well um if you notice yourself reacting a certain way to anything i've shared or anything anything you read like it doesn't matter what you're consuming but notice how you react and judge you know what we're offering you and what anything offers you because those those reactions and judgments say a lot about you know what's going on within you and yeah i mean if you think what we just talked about was stupid fuck off (laughs) (laughs) cool is that it you got anything i don't know is that it yeah um i'm sure there's something but there's more there's more time for more things later on in life yes there is au revoir oh wait, wait okay um, I know this is just me and you, but we were talking about how when we end up 
when we end an episode, there should be a question. Mm. And when I ended the episode with Dylan, my question was like, tell me about your favorite journey. I think that that was something you and I talked about. We thought would be a cool question mm-hmm. related. So um, tell me about like a favorite, the favorite part of your journey. Favorite part of this most yeah. recent journey? Yeah. It could be like oh, the traveling aspect. It could be something like during your trip. It could be a an emotional aspect of the journey, whatever. Something that you enjoyed. I have a few ideas for you. <laughs> Favorite part of this journey. Or something you liked. Anything. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be mind-blowing. I yeah, I know. I let me a... let me fucking think without you talking. Well, I have some ideas. Jesus Christ. It's, you asked me the question. You want me to answer? Your ideas. Um... My favorite, man. There was there was quite a few things that I enjoyed. Um, the day that we broke diet and we were able to eat f- like different food again was really cool. And um, just being able to spend the time on Saturday and Sunday before I left with the the guys that were a part of my experience. These uh, three other guys, Michael, Mark, and Mike. Um, it was really, really cool. Like, we really bonded. We played a ton of chess. Like, we just did this, like, um, musical chairs of chess. It was hilarious. And we're smoking mapachos, and um, we go get food and walk around, and we slapped a donkey, and <laughs> <laughs> we made ourselves food the next day. And this is always a really beautiful part of the experiences that, that I go through with, um, or that I experience <clears throat> on retreat is the, the camaraderie that is gained and developed and the friendships and relationships that are created along the way are, are really amazing. And, um, that in between moment was really great. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that it? That's it. Great people. Until next time. Journey Doses with Ash and Ty. <laughs> Peace out.